0: Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode.
1: Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast that is dedicated to the growth, development and advancement of teamwork, leadership and culture. Hi, my name is Greg Gregory, and we're glad you're joining us each week to listen to thought leaders from across the country and around the world. We are now downloaded in over 59 countries, and we're excited to have that growth. The messages I'm getting from people are just outstanding about some of the interviews we're doing about how it's helping in areas at work, in their personal lives, in their volunteer lives. It's so helpful on so many different levels. And today, I think we're gonna find a lot of the same coming through. Joining us from the San Francisco Bay Area today, we're fortunate to have Jennifer Murphy with us. And she is the chief marketing officer for Five9. Now she has over 15 years of global experience in the field of technology, ranging from consulting to product management, strategy, marketing. She's also an accomplished leader and has led worldwide teams. And that's critical, it's worldwide. So we're understanding the differences in different cultures in creating and executing compelling and effective go-to-market strategies. Now, that may sound like a lot for somebody who's sitting in her office right now going, what is a go-to-market strategy? She'll break that down for us in our chat today. She's also a passionate business executive with experience in various IT domains, which I want to know about those various domains. Uh, She's always a technology enthusiast, something I am not. Uh, she's consistently looks for new opportunities to break the mold and push the boundaries to lift her teams to the next level. Exemplified by a proven track record ranging from execution of global product releases to building go-to-market strategies for both incubation solutions and established product lines. She knows how to get things out there and get them working. So if that's where your organization is, that's powerful. If it's not, The ideas about what she's going to share about your teams will be incredibly helpful. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Business IT and a PhD, which is focused on, and this I find fascinating, if I want to know about this, (laughs) the intersection of technology and sociology in determining technology adoption in the enterprise. She's been recognized as a Global CMO of the Year and a CRN Woman of the Channel for her contributions to the Partner and Channel Ecosystem. Janefa, welcome. Greetings from the East Coast. You're on the West Coast. How are you today?
0: Greetings from the West Coast. Hello, I'm good. Thank you. Greg, thank you for having me.
1: We're excited about this. And I'm so excited to hear about Five Nine a little bit. And there's things I want to learn about you, but you didn't wake up, I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, right out of high school or college. You did not wake up saying, you know, I'm gonna be a CMO of the year
0: no not not at all not in uh, any way shape or form uh, i it was a uh, it was a varied path to getting to be a cmo and and as you talked about i've held various roles i started as essentially as a researcher when i was doing my phd i did that in industry so that it wasn't just something hypothetical i went from researcher to consultant consultant to product manager product manager to marketer um and then from Various types of marketing into CMO. And when I think about CMO, uh, my roles in CMO have been broad and narrower, but they essentially fall into three things. Method, message and making it work.
1: I like that. So three M's.
0: Three M's.
1: Mm-hmm. So how long have you been involved with Five9?
0: I've been at Five9 for just over a year and a half. I joined after having spent about 13 years at HP, Hewlett-Packard, and a company called Microfocus. I had previously been in the DevOps and applications and operations space on the IT side of the house. And Five9, we're in a different side of the house. We are on the customer experience side. So we're a cloud contact center first. Uh, Ultimately, we are a customer engagement platform. So helping our customers connect With their customers when it matters most, when they need help, when they need support, when they want to reach out and have an engagement, whether that be via a phone call, whether it be via a text message or an online chat.
1: And it's fascinating because you would think that through this pandemic that the customer experience would have gotten a little better. (laughs)
0: Yes, we actually did a survey. Uh, We do a survey every year. It's called the customer service index. And it's interesting because you would have thought it would have gotten better. But at the same time, you have to think about value and velocity. So value, you would have expected customer experience to get better. But what a lot of brands were contending with was Volume and velocity, the amount of calls, the amount of engagements, interactions coming in, all of those things we used to do physically and go in store to do, we now started to do online. And the contact centre, as we say, became the front door to your business. And so balancing those different pieces, value and volume and velocity uh, has become a bit of a challenge. And I think there's a lot of opportunity still in the world of customer experience to make those engagements even more powerful.
1: I love it because you're so right. So many people, uh, a lot of the experience they have with a uh, organization is not necessarily when they're purchasing something or when they're working in something, it's when they have a problem and they have to call in.
0: Exactly. Or they, have to check in. or they have to return something, right? That's, that's when, you know, there is a massive opportunity to engage with your customers and be proactive. Um, yeah, no one, no one's reaching out to a brand because they're happy. There's very few people that go, oh, I'm just going to send an email today to tell this brand that I really love them. It's normally no, I've got a problem, and I need it fixed. <laughs>
1: It, you're, you're so right, and one of the best as far as I could tell, and I'm speaking from a novice point of view and from the other side of the box, uh, I recently purchased a, a computer monitor that when it got here from Amazon, of course, the company shipped it through Amazon. Mm-hmm. When it got here, one of them didn't work. And yep. in turn, it went the smoothest I've ever dealt with anything.
0: And imagine if it would have been a different experience. Imagine if the return would have been painful, if it would have been time consuming, if you couldn't get hold of someone, if you didn't know how to return it, then you would have maybe thought twice about going back to that particular seller. But Mm -hmm. because the return experience was a good experience, you're not left with that bitter taste in your mouth. You're like, okay, wasn't perfect the first time around, but maybe I'll give them another shot.
1: Yeah. And the same thing happens even when people go to a restaurant. If, if the food is adequate and the service is excellent, people will likely go back. If the food is excellent and the service is horrible, they probably will not.
0: 100%. So that's what we help our customers do. We help our customers engage with their customers and get more opportunities to create loyalty. To create that brand experience that really represents what you talk about, that really represents their culture, and right. make sure that that's coming forward into their brand interactions.
1: So that brings me to the point: Why has the company culture catapulted? I'm going to use the word catapulted mm-hmm. here to be uh, to the top as far as brand recognition, brand reputation. I mean it. I know Southwest Airlines has said for decades, our number one customer is not our customer. Our number one customer is our employee. And that's so true. But it's all about the culture that they have. Why has that culture catapulted to the top in the last five years, even prior to the pandemic, it was even growing?
0: Well, I think there's a a variety of different things that impact it. The first thing is, I think, technology. Technology has come a long way. And it's also a lot harder to differentiate on technology and product than I think it ever has been. So that means you need to look for something else to differentiate. The second is people's expectations and people's value systems are just more at the forefront. Now, that might be a generational thing, that could be a regional thing. But I think people want to buy from, people want to engage with, Companies who are more than just about profit. Obviously, business is about profit, it's about revenue, it's about getting your customers engaged, but people want more for that. They want to scratch under the surface. And if you take the contact center world, you know, we've seen a correlation between customers who are investing in employee experience having a positive impact on customer experience. It's it's proven to if you can, for example, get agents, agents who are working in the contact center, if you can get those attrition rates down, you can get an increase in your customer satisfaction score. Why? Because your agents feel more engaged. They're sharing that with their customers. If they're Mm -hmm. if they are not feeling good about themselves, if they're not feeling like they have a career, if they're feeling negative, that's going to transfer in how they engage with one another and with your customers too.
1: And the flip side of that if they're very engaged and you can feel it then the customer is going to feel like they're more part of their family.
0: Exactly, exactly. That you know positivity breeds positivity. You know there's what when you call in or when you engage right maybe you're engaging via a digital channel people you know we did a survey people want to get to the resolution Quickest, that's number one. I want my resolution as quick as possible. Um, They want people who are informed and know what they're doing, but they also want people who can show empathy, who can have that positive experience with it. No one wants to be having a bad day. No one really wants to be grumpy and miserable when they're engaging with someone. So if you've got someone on the other side who can fix your problem and also be a nice person about it and be positive about the experience, Mm -hmm. makes it even better.
1: Yeah. It's it's my goal is whenever I have contact with somebody and it's more so over the telephone than in a chat box or an email. But one of my first goals is when the other person answers the phone is to make them smile. Because I don't know whether the last person they talked to was a pain in their butt. So I want to come across as being positive to generate that positivity back so that we can have a great experience moving forward.
0: Yeah, hard i mean being a uh, being an agent um you know being someone who manages support being a customer service representative Mm -hmm. whether you're doing that in the real world whether you're doing that from a contact center is super super hard because sometimes people don't always bring that positivity and they've got that frustration that they just want to unleash your monitor wasn't working that's annoying you needed that monitor you're frustrated you're angry you're upset And sometimes you need, you know, the first place that you can unleash that uh, can often be on the customer service representative.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the way we start to build it and the way we get it is so powerful. So that brings us to the, the, the question I've been anxious to get to. And that is employee experience and customer experience, the EX and the CX. There's a direct correlation. There's no doubt about that.
0: 100%. Okay.
1: And so the culture that we're driving from the CEO, CIO, CFO, CTO, anybody up there in that C-suite, the the culture that they're driving has to be lived throughout. From a brand perspective, I'll address two questions here. From a brand perspective, how can organizations get that brand down? And then, for, how can the employees feel like they really mean it? Because there's a lot of times organizations say this is what we believe, and when you get into real life, it's not there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. So and how think, do we
1: how do we get those two on the same page? Uh, excuse the expression, ever you know, flying in the same direction?
0: Yeah, I think it starts with at the end of the day, um, you know, your values and your culture and what are going to be your guiding principles. Those can't. It's not a one and done they're evolving. Um, and I think it starts with, you know, the onboarding of people into your organization. When you are onboarding people, are you just flashing up a slide that says, oh, here's our values, go to, you know, www. And go read our values on the intranet? Um, or are you actually explaining what they mean, what it means to be a member of this team? What are the do's and don'ts? And then are you also following that through with your reward system? Are you encouraging the right behavior? You know, and I think, honestly, it's when it's when the rubber meets the road is when you have to put it into practice. So looking at your team and saying, hey, are my team members exemplifying these values or are they not? And if they're not, what am I going to do about it as a leader? Am I going to share and show that that's not acceptable and find out a way to rectify that situation so i think it's everything you have to look at the entire employee journey um and then the, the other thing as well is you have to bring those examples to the forefront you know be very transparent with how you share this with your customers um you know, and and for for us at five nine, you know, we launched a campaign around trust at the beginning of the year, and it ding, was ding 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 yeah. ding ding ding. It I, was. I've got to yeah. make a
1: noise here every time yeah. a guest brings up the word trust because that that comes up almost in every episode. So I'm it fine. does,
0: it does, because it's a, it's to me, it's trust, it's transparency, it's honesty, it's accountability, and you know, why did we launch a trust campaign? Well, because we you can't say to someone trust me right you have to prove it you have to prove yeah. it you have to earn it you have to earn it every single day and so with our trust campaign it was about showing providing the proof points to say don't listen to us listen to our customers here's what they say about us you know and here sometimes things go well sometimes they don't and I think you have to have that level of honesty as well to mm-hmm. be able to share that, Hey, we're not perfect. No, one's perfect, but we have the right attitude to get it. Right.
1: Right. It's the, and I use the term customer recovery mm-hmm. and whenever something goes wrong and it will go wrong, it's how quickly and how effectively do they recover?
0: Exactly. Are you responsive? Are you personalized? Are you informed? You know, does Mm -hmm. does someone have to wait two days for you to reply to an email, right? Does Mm -hmm. someone have to spend 10 minutes on hold or do you offer a callback service so that they don't have to waste their time being on hold? You know, do you offer a chat in case somebody can't call? It's all of these different things that you have to think about. And yeah, I think being responsive and it's as much about how you respond, not how you react how you respond. There's a huge difference in
1: that. How do you define, let me get your opinion, I'll share mine. How do you define the difference between reacting and responding?
0: To me, responding is thoughtful. Reaction is just something happened, I immediately have to do something else. It's it's a very visceral response. Uh, Responding to someone is you've put thought, you've put effort into it, you're thinking a few steps ahead. You're not just thinking about the here and now.
1: Yeah. And the way I look at it is kind of like if you were sick and the doctor gives you medicine and your body has a problem and you go back to the doctor and you're worse, the doctor says your body is having a reaction Mm -hmm. to the medication. Whereas if you are feeling better, he says your body is responding to the medication. So responding is a much more positive approach and a reaction is a much more negative approach.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So, and then no one wants to be reacted to. You want a thoughtful, thought-out response, especially when it comes to customer service.
1: Yes. So where does social media fall into all of this?
0: Because oh, I know that
1: when I have problems today, if I'm not getting a result the way that I want, uh, my next line of uh, offense is going to Twitter and blasting them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and you know what? I think it's uh, an incredibly powerful tool. Um but at the same time, I, and it's something that you have to manage, right? As a brand today, you have to manage it. You have to have a thoughtful approach to how you're going to monitor your social media feed. And what are you going to do when you when you want to respond? You know, there's no point in getting into reacting, right? Getting into these shouting matches, but ta- but being aware, responding to it, dealing with it, taking that into maybe another channel and saying, hey, Let me reach out to that customer and let me send them a DM. Let me, you know, give them a link to where maybe I can chat with them. Let me try and figure it out. So I think social is an incredibly powerful tool for a consumer because it allows you to have a better voice. And as a brand, you have to manage it. You have to monitor it and you have to take it just as seriously as all the other channels out there, because perception is reality and social media Helps frame people' perception of your brand.
1: Yeah, I've used the term lately. Perception is more important than reality.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, could, I I agree with you, Greg. It's 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 so true. And unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, brands out there who just they they underestimate that. Yeah. So let's talk
1: about something else. that's in the same avenue, but it's mm-hmm. something that has been concerning to me on a personal level. When I'm looking at uh, working with an organization. Um, I'm jumping online, looking at things and from a personal level, more so than a B2B business,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to look and see, okay, what are the reviews like? There are organizations that are paying for positive reviews. Yeah. And I've heard there are organizations that will pay to put negative reviews on the competitors. How, yeah. how do you as a brand try to control that?
0: It's hard. You can't. And it's very true. Uh, I've had it happen uh, at organizations that I've worked at where people have, have put out negative reviews. Uh, I think this comes down to your your approach. So there's two sides to it. There's how do you deal with it when it happens to you, right? So as a brand, when someone does it to you, how do you respond? You know, Do you respond uh, in kind or do you Go back to your values and say, Well, what's important? That's not how we do business. So, therefore, I'm going to stay away from that FUD and that mess. I'm going to mm-hmm. focus on what matters, which is our customers. The second side to it is I think, as a consumer, that's why, and we're very fortunate as consumers, we have so many sources of data and information that we need to make sure we get an informed choice. And I think, honestly, it can be quite easy to see through some of those things. So, I always you know, when I look for things as a consumer, I, I'll i get a bigger sample set, right? Hey, what what does it say on Amazon? What does it also say on Yelp? What does it say if I just randomly put it into Google? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think you've got to be as a consumer, you've got to have that extra layer of diligence.
1: Yeah. So a lot of times I look at it and I follow the old uh, scoring system for the uh, Olympic figure skating. Okay. You have a five point. I throw out the highs. I throw out the lows. I only look at the ones in the middle.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's it. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a good approach. To it. But yeah, it does happen. And, and I think this is where most of the time savvy consumers, whether it's especially in B2B, they can see through that. Yeah, And yeah. that's why you you've got to stand by and you've got to make sure that when, again, go back to hiring when you're hiring people, who represent your brand, and that's everyone in your company, doesn't matter who you are, everyone's representing your brand. They follow the same values that you believe are going to be important for employees and for customers.
1: So let's talk about as a leader, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: not necessarily the C-suite, not even the senior vice presidents, Mm -hmm. but let's get down to the front line. The leaders, when they're interviewing and they're hiring people, they and we've all done this at one point, we've hired somebody, found out the person we hired was an evil twin, Um, it has happened. What do we do to really drive home that brand? So let's assume that the C-suite hired the next level, hired the next level, worked at the next level, brought them up, so that's all there. So now we're at the front line, how do we encourage, how do we build, what can a leader do to make sure that they've got that culture, that's being generated and revered throughout the organization
0: yeah I think um, there's two sides again to it Oh, maybe I'm on my two side uh, rant today uh, so on the, <laughs> uh, on the one side of the house I think you know you as a leader you have to understand like I think too many leaders um don't take the time themselves to understand truly what the company brand is and what the company culture is and why it matters. Right. So I think the why is really important. Understand as a leader why it matters, because then you can lead by example with your team and you can better identify the people who are going to be the culture carriers and the people who maybe just need a little bit more help understanding how they can fit into the culture. Because, like I said at the beginning, culture, I think it is a a bit of an evolving thing. Values are an evolving thing that you can learn and mold over time. The second piece to it is if you have that scenario and yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who've been there, I've been there where you've hired someone and then it's their, uh, you know, it's their twin who maybe has a slightly different personality. Um, I think you have to be quick as a leader to recognize that and give things a chance to change. And if they don't, take the appropriate action because sometimes that can be a really negative impact when you see people in the organization who are just not aligned it's not that they're not a good person. It's not that they couldn't be a good fit in another team or in another role, but they're not fit for the, the space that you have them in. Yeah. It's yeah. more harmful to keep them there.
1: Yeah, I had that same thing happen. And we're talking 30 years ago in the mortgage world. I had a situation just like that. Great person just was in the wrong seat on the, on the bus.
0: Yeah. And, it, right. and it's hard. It's hard as a leader to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how many times you have it. It's always hard mm-hmm. uh, and it's always difficult, but that's where, you know, you've got to focus on what's for the best of that individual and for the team as well.
1: Right. And what was fascinating was as he moved, it was tough. And then as he started to thrive in that other role that I knew he would be better in, it was like, yeah. He was happy. I was happy. The tea. Everybody was happy. There was just that little moment, that flux moment. We weren't sure how it was going to go.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's it's tough. But I think understanding the why of the culture you're trying to create and why it matters, and then personalizing it, really important. Yeah.
1: So we had a guest on our podcast very very early uh, in our um, history, and he's the CEO of a small IT company um, Mm -hmm. outside of Washington, D.C. And they have their five core values. And they have not changed in the 28 years he's been running the business. And they use those as their decision factor. Mm -hmm. And he has had to terminate people when they don't follow those values. Terminating somebody for that is a hard thing. But my question is, how do you hire for that? What, what are things that you look for in the hiring process for somebody who's going to fit whatever your core values are? Because let's mm-hmm. face it, just because they're your core values don't necessarily mean they're my core values. Yeah. And I get that. So my company may be different. So what do you look for?
0: I think you have to ask for examples. And that's why understanding uh, what the values really mean uh, makes a difference as a leader. Because, you know, if you really understand them, and you know the why behind them, then you can start to ask questions that allow you to get examples of how people might react. And I think there's also a difference between values and personality. Often as leaders, when we're doing interview processes, it's very easy to uh, mistake a personality match with a values match. And I think you also, so you have to ask the right questions, you have to ask for examples, but you also have to put aside, hey, is it easy for me to talk to this person? Is it easy for me? Are we, you know, are we vibing on the same thing with, can they really give me examples of these values and how they would handle situations, right? I think role-playing, that is always a great way. Scenario run-throughs, another great way. Because it allows you to understand how would people react to it or respond to a particular situation.
1: Okay. So let's get to the other part of my question. The employee experience. We yeah. know there's a direct correlation between the employee experience and the customer experience. How do you, one, how do you measure? Two, how do you set up for that? How can you get people engaged more? so that they feel happy. So let's just talk about what do you do in your organization? What have you done as a leader that has really engaged that employee experience? Because we know the correlation is definitely there. So yeah. let's talk about how do we get it there?
0: Yeah, so I think how we get it there is, I think you have to set up a, a complete ecosystem that that frames uh, that employee experience. So that ecosystem means that you have to have continual feedback So we do uh, we do quarterly engagement surveys, um, but at the same time, you know, I also uh, try to spend time doing skip levels. Now, I don't like put it on the calendar as this is a skip level meeting. I'll just maybe randomly pop in. Right. and, And say, hey, have you got five minutes? Hey, can we chat about something? Right. Hey, how are you doing? So I think you've got to have the formal things like the quarterly surveys where you can get the quantitative data and the qualitative data and people can do that in an anonymous way where sometimes people feel a little bit better to you know maybe be a bit more honest maybe share some of the negatives as well as the positives but then I think you also have to have those informal engagements across your team as well to sort of pulse how are things going and if you feel things as a leader in your gut that you know, is maybe not right in an organization, just testing them with with different people within your team and outside of your team as well. So that's two of the things that I like to do. And then separately, like I've set up for my team, I have a program called the Marketing All Stars program. Uh, It's a program that we run within our group uh, essentially every quarter, uh, every well throughout the year. Individuals from within marketing can nominate each other, they can nominate a peer, they can nominate a team member, they can nominate a manager. Um, and basically the nomination criteria is all about how have they exemplified the right values and behaviours that we want to encourage over the, in the team. So whether that's um, using data in a constructive way, whether that's um, teaming together. Um, So all different criteria that people can recognise for each other. And then when we have our all-hands core, we we celebrate uh, those team members who have both been nominated and those who are winners per se. Um, And we we celebrate those team members in those categories of looking at customer uh, satisfaction um, over internal focus, uh, having a bias for execution, orchestrating big bets, being data-driven, and having engagement and transparency over over posturing.
1: Ooh, okay. So how often do you do these recognition meetings? Uh
0: so we have a all hands every month and we pick winners uh once a quarter. So every 3 months um and then uh what we try and do is we have a team slack channel uh and we try and put in there the following sort of quarter so if we recognize at the end of the quarter the following quarter we'll share the reasons why people were maybe nominated. Mm -hmm. So everybody gets that opportunity to see what the others have thought. And at the beginning, I used to announce the winners, Uh, but what I I thought, I thought, well, why should I do it? Why not have the team member who has nominated someone, nominated the winner, have them share their point of view. And so now at your hands, wherever we can, I try to get the nominator uh, to talk about the winner in their own words. It's so
1: interesting because is this something that you have done since the pandemic or is this something you've been doing even for years before?
0: No, I've been doing it for years before. I've been doing it for years Mm -hmm. before. Um, Has it changed with the pandemic? You know what, I think it has changed with the pandemic. I think it's, to me, it's even more important because when you don't have the ability to physically connect, it's Uh much it's it's harder of sounds obvious it's harder to disconnect it's hard you know it's easier to disconnect it's easier to just turn off the zoom call and be like oh yeah who cares right Uh you know and you know when you're in in a co-located environment you see someone oh yeah hey great job nice job right do you always do that on slack or whatever your messaging app tends to be not always um so I, I think for me, I've tried to put more emphasis on it as we've come through the pandemic and also doing things like uh, we have something called whiskey Wednesdays. It was a program that started at 5 nine before. I like this one. Go ahead. I joined, right? Um, but it's a tradition that I've uh, I've carried the torch for, uh, if you will. Um, and the team have done everything on whiskey Wednesdays. It's just an hour uh, on a Wednesday where the team get together informally. Sometimes 10 people join, sometimes 20, sometimes 30, um, sometimes all the team. And we do a desk deskercise. We've done whiskey tastings, chocolate tastings, um, art classes, cookie, uh, cookie decorating, terranium building, just a whole series of, of giving people an opportunity to connect on a more personal level.
1: Right. One of the things I have said through the last... 18 to 24 months, Mm -hmm. or maybe a little more, is that the challenges facing leaders today Mm -hmm. are really no different than they were Mm pre-pandemic. They're just emphasized more.
0: Exactly. The pandemic has just amplified it. It's amplified uh, the need for more focus on employee engagements. And also as well, I think the pandemic gave people an opportunity to say, well, I'm not going to stand for you know employee experience not being a priority i'm not going to stand for poor work life integration i'm not going to i'm not going to stand to just be a number so uh, i i think it's great that employees are um you know thinking about that there was a term i saw the other day um was it what was it called it was a blind blind quitting i think it was quiet no. quitting quiet quitting
1: quiet quitting Yes. Yeah.
0: And I was like, wow, this I is... heard that
1: same uh, thing. Yes.
0: Yeah. Phenomenal. Right. The, the notion that people are, are just sort of they're not quitting their jobs, but they're not going above and beyond. They're just doing the bare minimum.
1: Right. They're now moving from actively engaged to disengaged, which is one step away from actively disengaged.
0: Yeah. And it's it's super hard as a leader. It is super hard. And it's something that I think you've got to watch out for. And mm-hmm. part of it is people are burnt out and they need, they need that time. Um,
1: so what do you recommend to leaders if they've recognized somebody has moved back to just disengaged and they were engaged?
0: Ask why. I think you've got to recognize it. I think you've got to have a very upfront conversation mm-hmm. and ask
1: why but i might look at you and go no i'm not i'm just i'm just having a bad bad day bad week
0: yeah i think that's where you know that that could be part of it i think you also have to think about as a leader well how are you measuring engagement and how are you measuring engagement not just by your own barometer but that you share with the rest of the team so that you know whether it's a metric Um, whether it's about you know are people attending meetings are they being vocal in meetings you know you have to be transparent with that and sort of then you then you've got that ability to have a conversation to say hey all right fine you're having a bad week but I've noticed that you're not speaking up in meetings anymore I've noticed that you're um, you know I asked you to get involved in this project and you just didn't reply or you said no it's yeah it's those difficult conversations as leaders more and more they're happening every day, and I think they have to happen
1: and that's sounding a lot like a parent dealing with a teenager too,
0: yeah, um, very much so very much so i'm <laughs> a, i'm a I'm a mother of two younger children uh but but yeah, I think you know sometimes people are just having a bad week and they need a break, but they need the time to know that having a break is okay, hmm
1: and being able to be open up front about when something's not right.
0: Yes, very, much so, very much so.
1: It's got to have that open feeling. And I think that's that's something that's missing today um, because we're not having that connectivity. We're not having those water cooler moments. You know, we're yeah. not having the chance to have come in and coffee and donuts and bagels and all kinds of food in the morning and things like that.
0: Yeah, and I think you can still create that in a virtual environment, but you have to be purposeful and you have to be intentional about it. Mm-hmm. And I think right now we live in a, a world where maybe we are, um we're still in that limbo state. Or you know, oh, maybe we'll come back into the office. Maybe we won't. Maybe people will be remote. Oh, we'll be hybrid. Well, have you really thought about what a hybrid experience feels like for people? You know, have you taken that time to go through that journey for your employees? Um. And 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 what hybrid is for one
1: person, one company, may be a different hybrid for a different company.
0: Exactly. Gone are the days that, you know, you can go, oh, well, that's industry best practice. Let me follow that. No, you have to be, we want to be personalized in our communications. People want to be personalized in their employee experience as well.
1: So let's talk for a moment as we get ready, because we've been online for a little over 30 minutes already. Mm -hmm. And something I'm anxious to learn what it means. And that's the intersection of technology and sociology. That's where your Ph.D. is. Yes. Explain to explain to everybody what is I mean, I understand technology, I understand sociology. Hmm. How do they intersect? Are they intersecting like this?
0: Hmm. No, it's intersecting how that,
1: like this.
0: It's how you can use one to strengthen the other. So um, when. Basically, what I looked at as part of my PhD, as part of my research, was consumer adoption of new technology. And what were the factors that impacted people's positive or negative adoption of that technology? And at the time, it was based on airline check-in and self-service check-in kiosks, which are a norm today, but they never used to be. Right. And so where you look at sociology and psychology, is you, basically you can look at uh, what are the things that create that psychological safety for um a consumer as an example we talk mm-hmm. about it in employee context as well that will make them more or less likely to adopt a technology and there are four factors there it's relative advantage so will this uh, technology give me an advantage in my life and how how and what is that making that clear it's uh, effort expectancy is this going to be easier for me or is it going to be harder than what I am previous, what my baseline is. It's facilitating conditions. Do I have the necessary um, physical attributes or um, you know software to be able to use this new technology? And then the f- the final one is social influence. Are important others doing this, purchasing this, being involved in this? Is this something that is going to improve my social status or social being like it or not you know there you can say oh I don't care what other people think most people care what people think they might not always vocalize it they may deal with it internally but in some way shape or form Mm -hmm. that impacts our desire to either go down a path or take a different path right and so It's really how you can leverage um, sociology and psychological principles to better steer technology adoption.
1: Fascinating. As you're telling me this, I'm thinking about several areas. Okay, I'm thinking about online banking, mobile Mm -hmm. banking, the features there. And I have several friends of mine who are vehemently against it. And I have several that are, oh, my God, I'm all in. Yeah. So I'm watching that, uh, you know, in that direction.
0: And think Um, about those four factors. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's like so one of the examples in the self-service kiosks was when self-service kiosks were first introduced. You needed to use your credit card to identify yourself. Right. That's a facilitating condition. Did people always have their credit card with them? Uh, they thought that maybe oh I'm going to put my credit card it's going to charge me again or it's going to charge me for something extra I don't want to do that then it's like okay well we'll move to passports because people will be traveling with a passport well if you are in Europe sure but in North America maybe not you can travel with a driver's license uh, in the United States at least so You know, facilitating conditions can take many different forms. And when you think you've solved for one piece, something else comes up and you have to think through all of those different scenarios.
1: That brings me to the brand experience of how do they get people more engaged in that and getting people to want to do that. That's your job as in five, nine in -hmm. one aspect is as the CMO. Yeah. How, how do organizations, what do they look at when they're trying to get customers to buy into their product and employees to buy into their product? Because that's that's coming from the top in leadership now.
0: Yeah, I think you have to make it relatable and you have to show that go back to performance at relative advantage and effort expectancy. You have to show that your product, that your solution is going to make that other person's life better. It's going to make mm-hmm. their business better, it's going to make their persona better their career better their personal self better that's what you have to focus on the value that you are providing to someone else the value that you're providing to your employees making their life better
1: yeah it's interesting because again i'm thinking as you're saying that what goes what goes back in my mind is into the even 1980s or 90s how mcdonald's would do tv commercials and it was not about selling a mcmuffin or a sandwich in the morning because it was always about oh i gotta call mom and it was about making them feel better. So I got to go to McDonald's so I can call my mother. And yeah. it's just, is that, it's manipula- a, is that manipulation or is that?
0: You could else? you could say this, right? You could say this because it's all about, it's about outcomes and it's about value, but that's where you have to, again, build that trust and that sincerity and that transparency. And so, you know what, when something goes wrong, and an outcome doesn't happen, you have to be honest about that as well. And that will help um, to make it more sincere and more genuine. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's what what are marketers trying to do? Marketers are trying to get you to part with your money. They're trying to get you, what are brands trying to do? Brands aren't, you know, for the most part, outside of nonprofits and others, for the most part, what are they trying to do? They're, they're trying to get you to part with your money. But that's the difference is that I think now, companies are realizing they should also be focused on trying to make the life of the consumer and their employees better
1: wow i love let's end it right there because i think what you just said is powerful they need to m- worry about making the lives of the cons- their consumers and their employees better
0: yeah That's and when we do that point.
1: all the way across the board we're going to get employees engaged and when we have employees engaged we know it's just a proven fact that they're going to be more engaged with their customers
0: exactly what are you doing for someone else that's how you have to think about it
1: that is fascinating jennifer thank mm-hmm. you so much for your time i have to ask this one question you're in san francisco but you're obviously not from san francisco no
0: <laughs> <laughs> no 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 uk uk born and bred so uh yeah but that's uh, but I, I i migrated over here and now I'm a, a Californian, but I'm not a Californian native. I'm a uh, I'm a UK person. So I, I see the different side of uh, of how different different cultures also engage mm-hmm. uh, in consumer experience. And that can be very different. That's something that people should think about as well. Who are their consumers and, and what does their what does their culture look like?
1: Fascinating. Jennifer, this has been absolutely enjoyable. I hope the listeners have really enjoyed what we've talked about here today. If people need to reach out and find you, how's a good way to do that?
0: You can reach out on LinkedIn, Jennifer Murphy, uh, or you can reach out on Twitter, at Jennifer Murphy. Uh, And I, uh, yeah, I'm normally pretty responsive. If you just send me a random LinkedIn request, I'll be a little bit skeptical. But if you uh, personalize it, then I'm going to be more likely to reply.
1: Yes. So tell them you, l- you listen to your podcast on the Teamwork Advantage, and that'll exactly. do
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: All right. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today. Folks, you know, once a week on the Teamwork Advantage, we share skills. And Jennifer has definitely shared some skills that you can act on immediately in your organization, in your families, with your kids. Doesn't matter. Until next week, remember, having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage and follow through on the ideas that people have shared with you here, we know you're not average. So go make today and every day an excellent and exceptional day. Till next week, take care. Bye-bye.
0: This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K dot com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a weight week, because a good week is just being average.